Hi, this is Kev Legs Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. I'm delighted to say I'm now joined all the way from America by Seth Rosenblum. Seth, are you well? I am doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing not too bad for an old man. Um, now, <laughs> it says here you're a Boston blues musician. Are you Boston born and bred? Right outside Boston originally. I'm, I grew up about 10 miles or so uh, west of Boston, and now I'm out in the western part of Massachusetts. But uh, I've spent most of my life in the Boston area with short stops uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, and Raleigh, North Carolina. So what was the music scene like in your area when you were growing up then? Well, it was... My experience in it was interesting because I grew up with parents who were both musicians. Uh, My dad was concertmaster of the Boston Ballet Orchestra, and uh, also played with the Boston Pops and Boston Symphony. So I spent most of my childhood primarily going to classical music concerts, but my mom was a big fan of the Beatles, Elvis, a lot of Motown, uh, so I was also getting all of that at home. Uh, But most of my kind of experience in the music scene had to do much more with uh, going to symphony concerts, going to ballets and things like that. So how did you come across the blues and what was it about the blues that drew you to it? That's a great question. So um, I started playing guitar at 11 and I had already played violin for quite a few years. And, you know, initially I I was huge into Elvis, into a lot of Motown stuff, and then quickly got into kind of rock and um, harder rock. And the the blues, I mean, I had a little bit of that influence from, you know, Elvis, some of the early Beatles stuff, etc. But when I was 13, I wanted to go to a uh, a rock band Dream Theater, their show in Boston. And my mom made me a deal. She's like, okay, I'll take you to the show you want to go to if you go to any concert that I pick. And she was, I guess, just reading the the local paper, and there was a listing for an upcoming show at a jazz club. And she said, okay, we're going to this one. And it ended up being, uh, it was Joe Bonamassa, and this was probably... 2005 2006 so when he was still playing clubs and Mm. i thought it was the coolest thing i'd ever heard and i still remember i think he closed out the night with uh his cover of uh jeff beck band blues deluxe and i was i was hooked so so that was kind of the the real start of diving into blues and enjoying that. And, you know, then I started going to a lot of blues jams, things like that, uh, in my teenage years. And, you know, I played a lot of genres for a while, but blues always just felt the most authentic to me and was the thing that I enjoyed playing the most. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we got to where we are today. 
you're on record as saying that you like music that is able to convey a wide range of emotion authentically. So that would imply that's what drew you to the blues. Yeah, I find that blues really allows for that wide range of emotion of, you know, you have happy blues songs, you have sad blues songs. And I I think in some genres of music, not that you don't still have the ability to convey different things, but it's a little more tracked towards a certain emotion of like a lot of metal is kind of like you have definitely some anger and aggression in there (laughs) and things like that, where with blues, you really see that full range of things of it's of what I I think I liked about it is that it is very, very from the heart and whatever you're feeling, you can get across through, through your playing or through your songwriting within the genre. Since you've discovered the blues and you've been investigating it, how far back do you go? Are we talking 1960s or do you go further back right to the evolution of the, the genre? No, I certainly go back uh, towards the origins of, I mean, I, I've listened quite a bit like early acoustic blues, but generally in my listening, I mean, three of my, I'd say, biggest early-ish blues influences would be uh, you know, T-Bone Walker, Elmore James, uh, and then early B.B. King, where it's very T-Bone um, influenced. But in terms of my daily listening, it's a lot of that classic 50s, 60s, and 70s blues of probably my two just absolute favorite blues artists of all time would be Albert King and B.B. King and any of the B.B. King stuff with Bobby Bland singing. I mean, I think Bobby Bland is maybe the greatest male blues singer of all time. So I love that stuff. And then I also like the, you know, 60s and 70s British blues and rock and a lot of the the later stuff of I'm a huge Stevie Ray Vaughan fan huge you know early 80s like fabulous thunderbird fan all of that stuff so i really don't (laughs) don't necessarily have one preference on era i i can uh appreciate and respect different things from a lot of different uh time frames of the blues which is good because that broad spectrum gives you a, a wider influence surely I, I agree, and it's also the the kind of thing of I feel like I did, in a way, back myself into it in the sense of, you know, I, I was hearing a lot of the modern stuff first. Of Obviously, I went to that uh, Joe show and loved his stuff and kind of heard some of, like, the other 90s, early 2000s stuff of Kenny Wayne Shepard, Johnny Lang, all of that. And then from there, it was, okay, Stevie Ray Vaughan is that direct influence going back. But then from there, like the first time really listening to Albert King, you have that light bulb go off and it's like, oh, that's where Stevie's getting half those licks. Mm. (laughs) You really start tracing it back the same way of like, if you listen to the the first B.B. King recording of Three O'Clock Blues, which is 
you know, before he was playing a 335, before it was really that, what I think we think of as that BB sound of like thrill is gone and stuff. It's BB King trying to almost play like T-Bone Walker. Mm. And you keep tracing the influences back and back and back. And I think that's where you really start to understand the history of it and develop a, a respect for how it came to be. Well, there's a certain movement or school of thought that's developed in recent years that because of the rock influence in blues, blues rock, as they call it, the blues is losing its identity. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've certainly experienced that. Um, my general viewpoint on it is I'm never going to play traditional blues better than those T-Bone Walker records or Robert Johnson records or, you know, going to BB King records. And by the same token, I'm never going to do the Texas Strat Stevie thing better than Stevie of my general take on it is I'm going to take all my influences and I'm going to play music that's authentic to me of I'm not approaching it from a starting point of trying to pigeonhole it or sound like a certain thing if that makes sense i'm just trying to play what's authentic to me yeah because otherwise you know the the thing that's already there i look at songwriting the the same way of i'd rather do a cover of a song if that song is what i am trying to get across than trying to write a song of the same feel that isn't isn't necessarily as good or you know where there's something out there that already does what i want it to be you're talking about covers there on the other show that i do i have a feature called the beatles bit where i play people covering beatles tunes have you ever done the beatles cover or would you consider one so i think i've done live one beatles cover in a couple situations and it's the one that I think by guitar players gets covered quite a bit of, I know I have done as my guitar gently weeps. Uh, I know it was, it was quite a few years ago now at a kind of guitar clinic master class. And I think it was with Andy Timmons playing guitar too. I think we did a cover of that in Raleigh, North Carolina a few years ago, but I believe that is the only Beatles tune I've ever covered, but uh, I listen to a lot of Beatles. <laughs> I listen to a lot of Beatles because they are, uh, you know, I always say the Beatles are probably the the greatest overall band of all time. I mean, just looking at the output and where you listen through a Beatles record and there are no bad songs there. Mm. <laughs> Everything is just, there there's no throwaway there's no filler i feel like a lot of records especially nowadays there are one or two singles and the rest of the album is sort of to have enough material to put out a full album and with the beatles you listen through and it's like all of it is just fantastic not only as songwriters but the way they influenced the recording process without a doubt i mean the production on those records the harmonies uh, the creativity uh, across the board. Mm -hmm. 
Well, your 2019 album, Keep On Turning, you you mentioned earlier about your father being a classical musician. He appeared on that playing violin and also arranged the strings on the track called Can't Trust Your Neighbour. Well, that's on the new record. That's on As the Crow Flies. Right. Okay, my notes that's are wrong. That's on the one then. coming out, yeah. No, no strings on the 2019 one, but on this new record, he played strings on Can't Trust Your Neighbor, yes. Right, right. And the recording for that album, you did that over four days during March of last year. We did, yes. Was that to try and capture that live feel? Because you, you mentioned about trying to capture that live feel. Did you have such a short window to do that in? Yeah, I mean, it was multiple reasons. I mean, one of one of them definitely that I think can't get ignored in this day and age is just budgetary of like the budgets to make a record are not as big as they uh, used to be. So when you're in the studio, there is somewhat of that feeling of you're on the clock. But with this record, it was very much my intention to capture as much of it live as possible and to try to bring the the feel of what one of my live shows is to a recorded situation. So we had done uh, some pre-production rehearsals before going into the studio. Uh, so once we got in there, it was really just going through and uh, trying to capture the energy in the room and get a really good take and then move on. And I was less concerned with perfection in terms of every single note being on a grid and kind of how a lot of modern records are recorded. And I was more concerned with trying to capture that energy and feel, which is, I think, what often now gets lost in the recording process, where in the 50s or 60s, you were going for the feel in the room and trying to get the right take in terms of the vibe and the energy and not necessarily note for note perfection on everything. Well, on this one, you actually stepped into the producer's chair, didn't you? I did. Yeah, that was, that was an added challenge for this one. Part of the challenge I would imagine is separating yourself as a producer and as an artist. Where do you draw that line? That, that's a really good question, and that is the challenge with it, because on uh, the 2019 record, Keep On Turning, Josh Smith was producing, who's he's a, a good friend, and also I trust him as you know a guitar player, musician, producer, as much as anyone. And the intention behind doing that one and having someone else producing was to just let myself worry about the singing and guitar playing, and that was it. Uh, I credit him a lot with giving me the confidence to be able to self-produce this one because I learned a lot from working with him, seeing his process, where this one I really focused on in the pre-production rehearsals, drilling down what I wanted out of all the other musicians so that once we got into the studio and when we were actually recording the takes i was able to just think about what i had to do as a musician and then you kind of flip back to the overall 360 view analysis once you're in the control room listening back but it's a fine line in terms of 
where you you're the the musician and where you're the producer i think the most challenging part of that is i think the maybe biggest benefit of working with an outside producer is when you're doing a million and one vocal takes to try to get something or a million and one guitar takes to try to get the perfect end to a solo whatever it is a lot of what an outside producer can bring is that ability to say, okay, you got it. We move on now where I think sometimes as self-producing, you can just keep wanting to get this one little thing better and better and better and uh, kind of fall prey to the whole idea that I think we're always our own worst critics. So mm. that was, that was a tough balance to, to kind of walk there. I mean, would you offer your services to somebody else in the future as producer, or would, would you purely do it for yourself? I I would totally be open to that. I've never done that, but if someone likes what my record sounds like, uh, I do enjoy the side of producing, of having the kind of full view of the project, of having to, to have that overview and bringing things together i i enjoy that i enjoy you know coming up with parts and figuring out what's going to work well for a song and figuring out what the overall sound of the record is going to be so absolutely and you've spent much of the last few years on the road are you taking a break while you promote this album or does that incorporate more live gigs yeah, so, you know, the last few years, for multiple reasons, have, of course, been strange. I was heavily, heavily touring up until uh, basically March of 2020. And then, of course, for about a year and a half, I was completely at home. And that's uh, a lot of that time is when uh, quite a bit of this record got, got written, just because it was basically forced to be at home. And then since things have really opened up again here, have been back playing as many places as possible. Um, so it, it's been a mix. Obviously, the the pandemic and everything has changed the uh, touring landscape a bit, but trying to, trying to play as many uh, cities and venues as possible. When you're traveling around, is there a favorite town or venue that you like outside of Massachusetts? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I have a few, few highlights from the last few years. So uh, absolutely love Edinburgh in the UK. Um, had a great time there in, I think I was last there December 2019, and that was wonderful. Uh, in the U.S., I think uh, one of my favorites, I think it's one of the the best venues on the East Coast is Arts Garage down in Delray Beach, Florida. And uh, it's always nice because usually I'm down in Florida either in the late, late fall or early spring. And, you know, it's freezing cold up here in the Northeast. You go down there and it's 80, 80 degrees and sunny. And, you know, uh, wonderful at, at that time of year. So that's a favorite. And then I always like playing around uh, Los Angeles. I mean, I just think that's 
such a, a, a fun city for live music, and I think music is so much entwined in, in the culture out there that that's always enjoyable. You're a sun seeker at heart, aren't you? Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm demonstrating my ignorance here, but I didn't realise that Florida had such a big blues scene until fairly recently. Florida is pretty big for it, and especially in kind of between late October and early April, just because there are so many people from cold climates in the U.S. who spend their winters down there to get out of wherever it is, whether it's, you know, Minnesota or Boston or New York or wherever it is. Uh, So the population grows and you really have kind of that key kind of blues demographic there of someone who's been a fan since the 60s or 70s and will go out to live music and really appreciates um really appreciates the blues so it's a it's a good scene down there i was i think most recently down there in late march of this year and uh played played a, a really cool festival there played played some venues so it's uh there's a scene down there for sure well, you mentioned earlier about Joe Bonamassa being the first gig you went to, and you've been to numerous others over the years. Do you still get the chance to go to gigs? Yeah, I, I do. Not as often as I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's probably the same uh, answer you get from a lot of gigging and working musicians. Of It's, it's a combination of things. First of all, a lot of times when I'd want to go to a gig, I have a gig myself um, or some kind of other commitment. And also sometimes when I have a night off, I don't want to be <laughs> out at live music because it's, uh, you know, what what I'm doing so much of the time. Um, but yeah, I still get to gigs whenever I can. I mean, one of the more recent ones I went to is uh, I saw Larry McRae play, and he's one of my favorite um, blues guitar players and singers on the scene now. And then, whether it's locally or nationally, I, I find that I end up going to you know a lot of friends' shows if I can when they come through town. So a lot of local musicians I'm friends with, or uh, I'm trying to think. I think the most recent shows I maybe was at was when... Uh, Joe was coming through in August and I saw he and the band play one show and then he was very, uh, very kind and asked me to sit in at the Boston show, which was a, a very full circle moment. One final question. Uh, Rock and Blues Muse, they said that the future of the blues is in very capable hands, talking about yourself. <laughs> Do you feel that's a bit of a weight around your neck? Is that a, a big responsibility? You know, I, I try to somewhat <laughs> just do what I do and uh, not necessarily put too much weight, good or bad, what gets uh, <laughs> said about me or expectations that uh, kind of get get put onto me. Of all, all I feel like I can do and control is going out every night that I play and trying to play the best music I possibly can. And I, I feel very fortunate that people seem to like it. And when I show up to play a venue, there are people there who want to listen. But in terms of 
anything like that. I mean, I think there are a lot of really great young blues guitar players, singers, musicians in general who are there to, to kind of carry the, the genre forward and really move things along. I mean, I think there's no clearer example than uh, Kingfish. He's, he's done unbelievable things the last few years. And I just, I, I feel lucky to be mentioned in those circles, but I just try to play as, as well as I can and play the best songs every night that I perform. Excellent stuff. It's been an absolute joy talking to you. All the best with the new album, As the Crow Flies, and hopefully we will see you over here again in the UK at some point in the future. Absolutely. I intend on getting back over as soon as possible. Thanks so much for having me. And I hope you enjoyed that little interview there, and there will be more as we record more for the show, and we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well. So, plenty more to come. And of course, if you want to hear the whole show, there is always Listen Again. I'll see you next time. Take care.